Well, good morning, Cypress Bible Church. We welcome you to worship. Would you stand together with us? We're so glad you're here and welcome those online. Let's sing our praise to the Lord. Lift up that Jesus is our cornerstone, our firm foundation. Lift your voice. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Sing when darkness. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anger holds within the veil. Christ the
faultless to stand before the throne. Amen. Won't that be a great day, church? You may be seated as we continue. Good morning. I'm Brian Carroll, executive pastor here at Cypress Bible Church. My privilege to welcome you here this morning. At Cypress Bible Church, wherever in your journey, you're welcome here. And we hope that you will join us in becoming more like Jesus. Cypress Bible Church, we think three things are important. Gather for life-changing worship. That's what we're doing today. Uh, Grow through life-changing truth. We believe that's best accomplished in a small group. We have opportunities for that. And the third thing is go in in life-changing mission. We have the responsibility to take that good news of Jesus to others. Every Sunday at Cypress Bible Church is an important Sunday as we gather together to worship together, to grow together, to learn together, to serve each other, and to worship our God. And this Sunday is no different than that. But this Sunday is a little bit different. Uh, there's a couple things that are different. First, uh, John Bukema, who's usually the senior pastor here in our, in our pulpit or up here in the front on the platform, he is not here this morning, as many of you know. He is at uh, the worship place in Georgetown, Texas. He is there preaching a sermon there, and that church is in the process of deciding whether they want to extend the final call to him to become their senior pastor. Of course, that impacts us as well, but uh, we believe that that's not, we believe that's a, a good thing that God is in the midst of this. And at the same time, it's different here today because uh, Jonathan Chang, who has been our student ministry pastor, who's transitioning to our equipping pastor, he'll be speaking us, to us this morning about Philippians 2. But the good news is that God cares both about the worship place and God cares about Cypress Bible Church. There were both churches that are trying to accomplish the mission with which God has called us to do. And so even though John is there today preaching and they're discerning that, we wanted to give you some information so that you don't have false expectations. John said that he will take a couple of days, he and Amy a couple days to pray and process and make sure and discern whether that's really God's will and direction for them to go there. And so what can we do in the midst of that? The first thing is we don't need to be afraid. Scripture in Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The good news is God cares about both churches. God cares about the worship place, but God cares also about Cypress Bible Church. God will provide leadership for both churches. The, the, the thing today is John and Amy have that responsibility to make that decision that God's laying on their heart, whether that be for them to move on to that church or whether they will continue on here. We think either option is a good option if God is involved in that. So what can we do? Fear not. The second thing is to trust God. The third thing that we can do is to pray. Uh, A couple months ago, we launched Together We Pray, having no idea that we would be in this situation or circumstance at this time in our church's life. We just knew that it was important that our church come together to pray about continued direction for Cypress Bible Church. And what many of you already know, but in case you don't, this isn't something that John and Amy pursued at all. This was an opportunity that came to them unexpectedly, and they just felt like they needed to at least see, is this really God's direction and will for them? And we want to we worship God with an open hand that allows him to do the things that he wants to do and that we will respond appropriately and accordingly and worshiping him. But because John and Amy are going to take a couple days, please don't expect to hear back until midweek or later, either from John or from our elders, but you'll get the information when we know that. 
about what's going to happen. In the meantime, you can pray. And uh, we've been saying pray, um, uh, stop and pray at 8.30. We encourage you to pray at 8.30 in the morning, 8.30 in the evening. There's opportunities to join Zoom calls. Uh, there's opportunities uh, to pray on your own. Uh, for all that information, if you go out the doors and to your right, there's a table there set up, Together We Pray. We'll have information there, handouts for this week as well. So we'd encourage you to do that. But would you join me this morning in praying for three things? One is to pray for the worship place where John and Amy are at, a sister church in a different part of, of Texas. Uh, pray for Cypress Bible Church. And the third thing is to pray for John and Amy. Would you bow with me and pray? Lord, thank you so much that you are God. Thank you that you really are, uh, really our church is your church, uh, that the worship place is your church as well. And Lord, we would lift up uh, the worship place today that as John speaks there, that you would give them wisdom and discernment to know what the next step in ministry is for them. And uh, Lord, we would ask for your grace and your guidance and your blessing and using of that church. Lord, we pray for us as a church as well. Lord, that you would guide us and direct us. Give us the ability to trust you for whatever the next steps happen to be here. Lord, we also want to lift up John and Amy and ask for your guidance and provision and direction, wisdom and discernment as they discern, is this your call or is your call to continue to stay here and serve at Cypress Bible Church? So Lord, we entrust all those things to you. And today we gather to worship you and to learn and to serve you and to, to trust you in the outworking of what your plan is. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brian. Well, we are so glad that you are here today. And one thing that we uh, did last week that I think was very healthy for us was to greet each other. So I want to invite you right now. Would you stand up, look around to the left and right. If you're just comfortable with a wave, wave at somebody, maybe a dat or a high five. Welcome folks to worship today. Chandler's he leads us.
students leading with us today. Y'all sing this out with Gabby as she leads us here.
goodness, his faithfulness. And that's such a great truth because no matter what happens around us, no matter the changing of circumstances, God is always good. And when we believe that, it changes the way we view our circumstances. And he's good because we know he has come through on his promises before. We know he's been faithful. You can recount times in your life where God has been faithful to you because he can't go against his nature, which is faithfulness. So he will always be faithful. And the most faithful display that he showed us was the gift of his son, Jesus, who came and was given to us as a precious and free gift. And he lived a perfect and sinless life. And then he took our sins on his shoulder. The scripture says he became sin. The one who knew no sin became sin And then he died on the cross for all of us. And this is the gospel. This is the message that some of us has probably heard all of our lives. But you know, it's the answer to every question that we have, to every struggle that we're going. We always need to remind ourselves and come back to the beauty, to the wonder of the gospel, of Jesus Christ, of what he's done for us. It is the greatest thing that's ever happened to us, amen? I mean, the Astros game was pretty awesome. But Jesus is better, you know, and what he did for us is better. And I just want to be continually amazed as a worshiper, as as a Christ follower of the one who died for me, the one who put my shame, my guilt, my sin on his shoulders and said, I got you. I'm going to take this. And the scripture said that he died, but three days later, he rose again. Defeating sin, defeating death. Amen. Yes, Lord. So that we could have a relationship with God Almighty. And that when God now looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of God. Not our righteousness, because we don't have righteousness, right? Our righteousness is of filthy rags, the scripture says. But God sees Jesus in us. The Jesus in all of you. I served with an incredible older gentleman who was a senior adult pastor, and he said, I don't want them to see me, Josh. I want them to see Christ in me. I'm like, yes, Lord, may, may that be our prayer. May that be our focus, that Jesus is what people see in us because we have remembered what he has done for us. So as we sing this next song, man, remember the gospel and think about what Christ has done for you. Lift us up. I cast my mind to Calvary, 
Where Jesus bled and died for me, I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still, and all alone. Oh, praise the
remember what it's gonna be like in eternity for endless days. Even right now, your praise is going on around your throne. So many saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and power and might and dominion forever. And Lord, we give you that praise right now, the praise that you are worthy of, because Lord, we know who you are and we know what you've done for us. Lord, thank you for being so faithful. It's in your strong and powerful name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, church fam. It is so great and it is a privilege to be able to worship a great God alongside you all. I want to start off with a quick story. For those that are unaware, the Baylor Bears won the 2021 NCAA Basketball Championship for the three Baylor Bears in our church congregation. <laughs> and uh, as a Baylor grad, I was so excited, and I remember screaming and running through my house. Um, there's video footage of that. Um, but what really struck a chord with me was really how the head coach, Scott Drew, described how the team was to achieve, uh, achieve the championship. And he said that we have a culture of joy. And the question asked, well, what does that mean? And he said, we have a culture of Jesus, others, and yourself. And he said that because for the players on the team, they had to choose selflessness for the sake of of the team, they had to choose to put their ambitions aside for the sake of the team, which was not an easy task. You have three players now that are in the NBA that were on that team. Two of them, the prior summer, were called by the NBA saying, you should go pro. But they chose to put that aside because they wanted to come back for the sake of the team. You have uh, a star player who was willing to accept a role on the bench because that was for the better of the team. You had seniors who were willing to step aside to let the freshmen, the leaders, come alongside and lead the team because they cared more for the sake of the team. They all acted with humility. They worked together because they knew what could be if they chose selflessness, if they remembered Jesus, others, and yourself. Well, this can easily be a big picture of the church. Because we are a team. Even better, we're a family. And our aim is to have the best interests of our brothers and sisters as we link arms together and move forward as a church. In a dark world, in times of discouragement, we are a family that is united because of Jesus Christ. And an effective church must be a united church in this world. And Paul writes on that very thing in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Let me read it to you. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. 
in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think I've read this passage hundreds of times this week. And I get so hyped every time I read that. As we dive into this today, let me give you a little context and background to what's going on. I'm going to give you two sets. First of all, the background to Philippians, right? Philippians was written while Paul was in prison. Uh, What's so interesting is that this book focuses on contentment and joy in Christ and how a believer's life can look in the midst of difficult times. This is a letter of encouragement, one that Paul writes to the church at Philippi. And what's neat is that He doesn't address any doctrinal errors. He doesn't really mention sin at all in this book. He mentions choosing contentment and joy in life because of Christ. And so we, as a church, can look at the Philippian church as an example of a church family doing it well and doing it right. And so up to this point, the background, what happened just at the end of chapter 1 prior to this, Paul gives that great statement that we have all heard, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Christians have a double privilege because we get to live for Christ. We get to do ministry for his namesake. And if we die, we get to be in the presence of our Savior. In addition to that, Paul exhorts them and challenges them to continue to focus on being united as a church. One that moves in the same direction and is a powerful force for the gospel of Christ. And right up to this point, Paul addresses what Christians will endure. We will endure hardship and suffering and difficulty in the Christian walk. And that is why we need unity as a church. Paul gives four statements right here in verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharings in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, right, these look like he's asking them questions or they look like the stereotypical rhetorical questions. But when you look at the Greek, you can replace the word if with the word since from our English dictionary. And so he's given them four statements of truth and fact. Since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, since you have comfort from his love, since you have common sharing in the spirit, since you have tenderness and compassion. You see, Paul reminds them, he just told them they were going to suffer. And so if you suffered like Christ, you can have the encouragement that comes from Christ in Christ. You can have the comfort from his love, the love of God. This is what comforts us in these difficulties. We see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-7, through 7, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. 
If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. There's comfort and encouragement in Christ and God. And he continues, though. Now he mentions the Holy Spirit. That because as a church you have a common sharing in the Spirit, you literally do church together as a family. You literally serve the Spirit together. You participate in Spirit together as a church family. And you don't just participate community-wise, but you also live by the Spirit. The journey which all believers take, which is becoming more like Christ. Conforming to His image as you pursue holiness, as you discern what is good and what is not good. I had never noticed this until preparation for this message, that Paul talks about the Trinity in this. And because Paul addresses the Trinity, he says, because of that, then you can have this fourth point. You can have tenderness and compassion. You can have affection and sympathy. You can have compassion and mercy. Because the affection and sympathy that we receive from Christ is also what we should be giving to our church family. This is one of the keys to unity as a church. This should be the norm in a church. Unity should be what we seek out. This isn't some sort of special super Christian gift and talent that we, that we do. It's the norm. Going above and beyond is the norm for a follower of Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 2, to complete my joy. Well, why would Paul ask this church to complete his joy if they're doing things well, if he's like, y'all are doing awesome. Well, there's two things. The first thing is, is when we're doing well, Paul's saying, you're doing good. Keep going, keep doing what you're doing. But don't get complacent. Because our human nature is when we're doing things well, when we see success, it is very easy to take your foot off the gas and coast a little bit. And so he's saying, do not get complacent as a church. Don't get lazy, don't get arrogant, stay humble. Because complacency is not becoming like Jesus. Complacency is not a part of our Christian faith. But the other reality that they were dealing with is that there was possibly some inner friction going on. Because guess what? When you have a church family that has different people, different gifts, a flesh, a sinful nature, you're naturally going to have disagreements. Paul says right here is, you got to deal with these disagreements immediately. You don't let them fester. You take it head on because guess what? If you love your family, then you want to deal with this now. Because if you don't, then you're going to have disunity in the church. And we see what happened in Corinth. Paul gives specifics. What can you do to complete his joy? Have the same mind. Be like-minded. This means that you have the same attitude. Thinking the one thing. Paul desires harmony and not friction. Paul wants unity. And it's important for us to know that unity is not uniformity. Right? Because, again, we are all different creations. We are all in the image of God, but we all have different personalities. We have different gifts. So, therefore, we're not going to look identical to one another. And that is something we celebrate. That is not something we get upset about. What he's saying right here is also... You agree on the main things as a church family. You agree that Jesus is the Lord. You agree that Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit make up the Trinity. You agree that salvation is not something you can do or earn, that it is a free gift from God. 
Because the reality is, we're always going to have different doctrinal viewpoints. And we understand that usually the different doctrinal viewpoints that there's a lot of anger and malice and, and arguments going on are usually very minor ones that don't even matter in the grand scheme of things. And Paul is saying, be united. Be united. Because becoming more like Jesus means that we're all growing from where we are, each and every one of us. And we're not all in the exact same spot. And so instead of judging someone for not being where you are, or instead of being mad that you're not where someone else is, come alongside together. Be united and press forward. That's what it means to become more like Jesus. Don't speak ill of others because they're not where we are in our journey. Let's not be angry and judgmental because someone worships differently from us, because someone studies in a different biblical study manner, because someone might use different evangelism tools, someone might not be where you are. Because Jesus is the only one that can unite us, and he should be the one that unites us. He talks about having the same love, this agape love, when, which is what we hear all the time, one that is others-centered, others-focused. And if we have a genuine agape love for our brothers and sisters, then same-mindedness should be an easy task because we are on the same team. And we're all trying to get through a difficult life of hardship and suffering for the sake of Christ. And so let us help others grow into Jesus' likeness. Gordon Fee, a theologian, writes, Love begins when someone else's needs are more important than my own. So we are to be in one full accord, in one spirit, in one purpose, living into Romans 12, 16, which says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And in 1 Corinthians 1:10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And so Paul tells them, what can you do to become united? Well, I'm going to tell you in verses 3 and 4. Paul gives a key verse that we see used all the time. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. This is how we view our church family. Because there is no room for selfishness in the life of a Christian. There is no place for conceit, which is someone that would just consider someone being a braggart or a show-off in the life of a Christian. Imagine if Christian communities and churches, even our church family here, live fully into this mindset. To view others as more important than yourselves is not a natural mindset. It is one that can only be achieved through living by the Spirit, through full obedience to Jesus Christ. And so we should literally view everyone in our church family as more worthy of consideration than ourselves. If you want to be successful as a church, do this very thing. Paul talks about how should we engage our church family. Well, you don't look to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. The theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer gave seven specific principles on doing these things today. And it worked then, and it can work today on October 24th, 2021. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the Chang translation that I, uh, on how I interpreted these seven points. But number one is you don't speak poorly about your brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't speak ill about your church family. You don't ever gossip about your church family. 
You be humble. And remember that your brothers and sisters, like you, are the greatest sinners and can only live by God's grace. Because if we truly remember that we are all undeserving of God's grace and that we are all blessed because of his mercy through Jesus Christ, we may view each other differently. You listen with patience and kindness to your brothers and sisters. You take your time to sit down and actually listen. Not to hear, but to listen to what your brother and sister is experiencing, whether it is a celebration or whether they are mourning. But we sit and we take time to listen. Number four is you don't consider your own time to be so valuable that you can't be inconvenienced to help with, the, uh, to help with their needs, even if they seem small or trivial. If Jesus was willing to give it all up for humanity, then surely we can give up some time to help a brother and sister in need. Nothing is small. Nothing is trivial. Every act of service in the name of Jesus is a testimony, a testament to the goodness of God. Number five, as you bear your brothers' and sisters' burdens through forgiveness and accountability. So what? Someone's wronged you? Forgive them. Have you wronged someone? Then go seek out forgiveness. Maybe you need to help hold your brother and sister accountable. Because guess what? The pursuit of holiness, becoming more like Jesus, means choosing to live like Jesus. And sometimes we don't do that. And we might need a slap to the back of the head to remind us, hey, you're not looking like Jesus. You need to do better and live like Jesus. And remember Jesus in all that you do. Number six is you speak the word of God to your brothers and sisters when they need to hear it. We may all have great words of wisdom and counsel, but in the end, we need to go to the very truth to encourage and exhort and counsel our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the word of God we know is true, is impossible and incapable of being wrong. And so that should be the first resource that we go to when we, when we consider our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then lastly, understand that our Christian duty is characterized by service and does not call attention to the one who performs the service. It's about the act. It's the, not about the actor. And so if you're going to do service, if you're going to help a brother and sister in need and there's more footage of you on the camera than there is you helping someone, maybe your priorities are a little wrong. It's not about what you're doing for someone. It's about the service itself. And so if you want to look to the interests of others, it's not about you. Don't be conceited. We're really not that big of a deal. But let me be clear right here because I don't want to confuse anything. When Paul is writing about looking to the interests of others, he doesn't mean forsaking your current responsibilities as well. Because sometimes we may think we may go to that opposite end because we have duties and responsibilities that we need to follow. Right? If I'm a husband, I need to honor my wife. If I'm a wife, I need to honor my husband. If I'm a parent, then I need to raise my children in the Lord. I still have to go to work and make my commitments. But that's not an excuse to not serve others either. We navigate that tension. And you know how you navigate that well? By living by the Spirit. By remembering encouragement from, from Christ and comfort from God. Paul wants the readers to understand that valuing others more than you is your approach 
is how you approach to caring for them. And we should be proactive in seeking out ways to serve our church family. That we're looking for their interests always, not just waiting for requests to come in. But be proactive. That is how you look to the interests of others. And so the reality of the Philippian church then, and for our church, Cypress Bible Church today here in 2021, is that we can say what we want to do, but actually doing it is a whole nother thing. These two are very different things, just intentions and actually doing. Which is why this section of scripture doesn't end right here. Paul continues to write about the ultimate example of love and selflessness and humility and compassion. Jesus. And Paul brags on his Lord. He brags on our Lord in these next verses. These verses right here, 5 through 11, are known as the Christ hymn or the Christ poem. And these next few verses are beautiful and poetic, just as what Paul writes to the Colossian church about the preeminence of Christ in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He continues in verse 5. In your relationship with one another, have the mindset as Christ Jesus. Because Christ is the supreme example. Having the mind of Christ means that you think like Jesus, that you live like Jesus, that you literally be like Jesus. And so if we're going to do that, then we need to have humility like Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example of selflessness. And Jesus lived out verses 3 and 4 with what you just read. So if we're becoming more like Jesus, we should be looking for the interests of others as well. Verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. The pre-incarnate king of glory is who Paul is writing about right here. Christ is literally the nature of God. Paul needs the Philippian church to remember and know that the pre-incarnate Christ, before taking on human form, existed in eternity past as the second part of the Trinity. Jesus is not like God. He is God. Jesus was not a person that God created. He was always there in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When we see the use of being in nature God, the present tense signifies that Jesus continued to have the full nature of God in the incarnation. We see right here in the ESV, that uses in the form nature of God, and here the being of God the Greek word literally means a permanent form. It's morphe. It is a constant being that is never changing. So he is confirming that Jesus is God and will always be God. In Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus constantly proclaimed to everyone he was around that he is Lord. In John 10.30, I and the Father are one. Paul did not, I mean, sorry, Jesus did not consider his equality with God, though, something to hold on to forever. You see, he didn't count it as something to hold and grasp, but he willingly let it go in order to come down in humility to live amongst man. The humility of Christ was shown as he could have maintained his heavenly kingship if he chose to do so. So not considering equality with God has given us this visual image of an heir to a business empire or a successful fortune, willingly walking away from it to live amongst commoners. We see here that Jesus voluntarily came down to earth. And in a state of perfection, Jesus chose to show humanity how humility looks by taking on the form of a lowly man. He stepped out of glory into a broken earth 
for all of humanity's sake. He did this by making himself nothing, by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, the selfness servant. What did the king do? He made himself nothing. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself in obedience to the point of death, not just a death, but the most humiliating and painful death, the crucifixion. Jesus emptying himself is known as the kenosis. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time right here because this verse right here has caused some issues in, I'll just say it, heresy. This passage talks about Jesus emptying himself. And some have taught that Jesus gave up and lost his deity when he became man. You see, an orthodox belief for us as Christians is that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. We call that the hypostatic union. That is a non-negotiable. Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And so Jesus making himself nothing, emptying himself, means that he gave up his heavenly privileges to become a man destined for the cross. It means that this was the ultimate act of humility, that he gave up some of his attributes so in order to be a man, to live fully among us, he could understand the issues we deal with, such as pain, hunger, death, happiness. This is a metaphor for Jesus giving up status and privilege Because Jesus, again, had every right to maintain his status and privilege as the son of God. His love for mankind, Jesus' love for mankind, for all of humanity, drove himself to come down to earth. Not to be served by man, but to serve man. In 2 Corinthians 8 9, though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And so if Jesus gave up his deity at his incarnation, then it would have been impossible for him to live a perfect and sinless life, which is what was necessary to atone for our sins in his death on the cross. It was very humbling to me as I was studying this, that Jesus willingly came down, that he had the experience of heaven, and he gave that all up, To come down to a place where there is war, brokenness, hurt, greed, and death. He gave that all up for all of us. That is true humility. He didn't come as a king. He came as a servant. He chose to come in a way that demonstrates humility. He came to be a person on the bottom of a totem pole when it comes to classes. Jesus in his deity chose service and humility over dominance and privilege. And so he took on this likeness of man, which is an exactness, looking like a man, but he was still fully God. Emptying himself doesn't mean he gave up his deity. It means that he became human. We have to understand that and know that very clearly, that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In John John 10, 18, no one takes my life, but I lay it down of my own accord. God didn't force Jesus to die. Jesus chose to die. Christ humbled himself to die. Christ humbled himself to leave heaven. Christ humbled himself to suffer rejection and pain. Christ humbled himself to endure the cross. And so we can read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great I am became man. 
Jesus poured himself out to death on the cross in an act of obedience to God and demonstrated his servant spirit. And one that is one that we should have as followers. To become more like Jesus means being humble. To become more like Jesus means being servant-minded in everything. When we study these two verses, we can see the parallels kind of of what we see in John chapter 13 as Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. Washing the feet of the rejects of society. He didn't act like a king over them and say, you guys wash my feet. He said, let me wash your feet. But it doesn't end there. This is where we as a church should get hyped and excited because this is who Jesus is. Jesus is the king of glory, and this is his return to glory, what we see in verse 9. And because of Jesus' humility and obedience after his resurrection and ascension, Jesus is right now sitting at the right hand of God. Because Jesus was humiliated in his death, God then exalted him. Literally means he super exalted him from the lowest of lows to the most high. And God's response to Jesus' obedience was that of resurrecting him and glorifying him. And guess what? Because we share in the same salvation as Jesus, when we die, we will be resurrected and glorified as well. Jesus' name was no longer just a regular name. It is now the name. He went from the manger to the cross, from the cross to the crown. And so Jesus' name is the name that excels every single name on this earth. Whether it's LeBron, Trump, Biden, Bezos, Reagan, Obama, Gates, insert every known and influential name and popular name, past, present, and future. The name of Jesus always wins. His name is the one we revere, not anyone else's name. Isaiah 42.8. I am the Lord, that is my name. That is where I find hope. That is where I get excited. In verse 10, we see Jesus living into his kingship as the king of the world. When it says, one day every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. His followers, his foes, all knees will bow and all lips will say what is written in Isaiah 45.23. To me, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. The authority of the name of Jesus will reign in heaven, earth, and below the earth. All of creation will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. All of creation will bow down at his feet. Now, every tongue acknowledging that Jesus is Lord doesn't mean that the entire world is going to convert at the end. Let me be clear here. This isn't some pointing to universal salvation. What it is saying that the veil will be removed and they will finally see that Jesus is king and that he is Lord. And so what that means for us who acknowledge that now, because we believe that Jesus is Lord, because we know that he came and lived a perfect and sinless life on this earth, and he died and resurrected three days later, because we believe that one day we will be resurrected and we will be in glory forever. In Revelation 5.12, in a loud voice, they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and praise. And so we see right here, I'm a nerd, I love charts. But we see, again, pre-incarnate Christ coming down from glory to his death on a cross. And because he is Lord, rising back up to glory. 
So what do we do with this today? What do I do as someone that is a part of the Cyprus Bible Church family? Because if we don't do anything with what we learn and hear today, it doesn't really matter. Unity is essential. Unity means that we must look to set aside our own interests in order to serve others for the sake of the church. Unity means that we must put aside pride, arrogance, selfishness. In order for there to be unity, the question is, what are you willing to give up for the sake of unity? This was very convicting to me as well as I prepped. What am I willing to give up for the sake of unity for us as a church? Unity means you have the mind of Christ and you know that we will be glorified with him one day in heaven. And so that is your motivation to live out on a daily basis. So for us as a church, now is the time to unite. Times are uncertain. We don't know exactly what's going on, but as we shared earlier and learned earlier, God is good, he is faithful, and we can trust in him. And so I want to encourage you that to be a united church, we can be a powerful force for the gospel of Christ. And God will do mighty things through a united church. And so right now is the time to unite, to be humble, and let's see what he will do with us as we continue to pursue unity. Thank you, Pastor Chang. Church family, uh, we had an incredible day today to think about how Christ views um, his relationship with us and what he asked us to do and the example that he gave us to live a life of humility and that we come together. And so we want to take a moment right now as we sing together to respond in unity as we lift our voices to the Lord. So would you stand together with us?
Yes, we have a firm foundation in Christ. Church, as we continue, we have one more thing we want to do. I invite you to be seated for just a moment. We've been in a season of prayer here at CBC, at Cypress Bible Church, and this has been an incredible season that the Lord has led us through. In today's prayer focus, we are praying for the leadership of this wonderful church. And so right now, I want to invite all of the Cypress Bible Church staff that's here in the room to come forward. And would you line yourself up right here on this platform? I know it might feel a little weird, but that's okay. We want you to come this way. And can you welcome the staff as they come? So grateful for all who serve here at this wonderful church. We want to take a moment, and Miss Christina is going to come and lead in a special prayer over the staff team. And as she does that, church, I want to invite you, when she starts praying, if you feel comfortable, just extend your hand out as a way of praying over the staff. You are very blessed here at this church. Look at this. This isn't even all of them. We have an incredible group of men and women here who serve the Lord so faithfully. So turn your attention this way, and Christina, would you lead us? Good morning. Uh, like Josh said, my name is Christina Slavic. My husband and I have been here since 1997 and have had uh, the joy and privilege of seeing many iterations of staff and pastors and the movement. And um, I love that I always get to see people who love the Lord and are using their gifts and their natural talents and everything God has given them to just bless this church, this community, and the world. So it's my honor to pray for them this morning. Um, if you'll pray with me. Lord, I thank you for... Um, your faithfulness to Cypress Bible Church, Lord. I praise you for the fact that you never change. And as Jonathan reminded us, Lord, you're just, you are leading us. And we are so grateful for that, Lord. I pray for these men and women that are standing here, for those who are not here, for those who are seen, for those who are not seen, Lord. All of it is an offering to you, Lord. And I pray and thank you for their uh, service to you, for their time, for their effort, Lord. I pray that you would continue to bless them, bless the fruit of their hands, Bless their, bless their relationships at home. Lord, protect them. Protect their witness. Continue to draw them to you so that they are serving out of an overflow of this life that is connected to you, Lord. We thank you again for these men and women, Lord. I pray that you would call them to mind this week as we are praying for them, Lord. We love you. In your, the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Can you thank your staff one more time? I want to tell you two things and then you're out of here. At the end of this service, when we dismiss, there are going to be some elders here at the front. And if you'd like to pray for, with somebody, that is always available here at Cyprus. And we're also so grateful that you came to worship with us today. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. We'll see you all next week.